Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Right? And um, this past week has been something different, to say the least. Um, it's been a really trying week for myself and and I think even for a lot of y'all in the church, if for any of y'all who've been keeping up with just kind of what's been going on with the papers and everything else, and um, it's been it's been heavy. It's been really heavy. Um, you know, I kind of come from one of those from the school where, like, if you cry, like people punching your chest, like your man up, man, don't cry, yo. You know what I'm saying? But I've honestly been just weeping this morning, and I've been weeping over evac, and I've been re- weeping over just the process of kind of fighting for it, for what we think is right. Um, I don't think I'm alone in this because I think, you know, when we think, when we talk about EVAC, for y'all who are aware of it, EVAC was something that was birthed while I was serving the church. I came up with the name for it. Me and uh, Miss Donna Frio worked super hard. She's the hero in the middle of the whole process of working with the boys who are considered at-risk boys or whatever. That's what the school would call them. We call them at Hope Boys. Um, and we've accomplished some amazing things. You know, we, uh, we, we have five of them in D.C. right now doing some amazing things with the, uh, you know, and, and just with the Department of Justice. Um, and it's been an amazing trip. But I don't think until it became threatened that I really grasped how heavy it was for me and on my heart. Um, but you know, when I think about it, I just feel like evac is the churches because I feel like when it comes to whether it's been financial or the time we've been able to put into them, it's been a gift from the church. It really, really has. And even with Miss Donna Frio being, um, a member at this church and her being able to push through. And I know I'm kind of, this is kind of vague to some people or whatever, but I can't go into all the, the details or whatever. And I don't know if it's actually necessary, but the other day or whatever, we went to uh, the school board and we kind of made our voice be heard and everything else. And um, a whole bunch of people from the church showed up. And I was so proud of the Ville Church. I don't even know what to say. Like it literally felt like a paradigm shift in the room because people stood up and they voiced their opinion in support of EVAC and what we were actually asking for. Um, and so, and everybody had their game face on. So it was just like, you know, we play and we joke a lot, but everybody was just on their fist bump, like, kind of deal like that. So I just was like, crap, we got the eye of the tiger up in here. We couldn't howl in there. We would have howled in there or whatever. And, uh, but I could hear a couple people in the back like, <laughs> like, you know, like a little type of deal or whatever. You know what I'm saying? But it's hard when you fight to build something, Right? And somebody else doesn't really care enough to really, it doesn't seem as, uh, as if somebody else um, who may be in power over you cares enough to ask what it actually is, right? I kind of use this example to kind of explain what was going on. I said, uh, you know, imagine if your grandma makes these amazing pies or whatever, right? Y'all got to bear with me. My examples get a little corny. But imagine she makes these amazing pies, Okay, and so somebody else comes along and says, we're going to make these pies, 
right? And we're going to call them, my grandma's name is Havana. And they're like, we're going to make Havana pies. And everybody's like, awesome. We're so glad you're going to make Havana pies because we love Havana pies. But you're standing on the sidelines going, you don't even know what's in the recipe. You get where I'm coming from? And so, but you don't have the power to stop this train from moving, right? But nobody stopped to go, yeah, what's in the Havana pies so we can actually make the Havana pies right? I know y'all been doing this for a long time. Do you get where I'm coming from? So that's what I'm talking about right there, if, if, if that makes sense. And I'll make sure the sermon's short because I know y'all probably hungry now after the pie example. Um, but I guess if I could describe where I'm at, I'm just kind of feeling the sting of politics, bureaucratic stuff, um, dealing with egos, dealing with pride, tasting a bit of my own ego in the midst of it. Um, so this morning when I was trying to come up with a sermon, well, not this morning, but this week, I was just in this place where I was so angry, and I'm like, I don't think I can actually preach around this. So I want to just kind of let y'all walk through the process with me of what God has been doing in my heart as he's been helping me through this process, all right? So I'm going to jump through 50 million scriptures, and y'all just roll with me, all right? But y'all are used to that by now. We're going to speed, speed uh, through the scriptures. So one of the things that's been giving me comfort is to know how God feels about justice, right? His position, right, for justice and against injustice and how he stands against oppression. In Micah 6, 8, he says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. He says do justice because justice is something you do. It's not something you talk about. It's something you actually walk in the midst of, right? In Job 11, he says, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. In Isaiah 59, 14 through 15, it says this. It says, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the street and uprightness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Now the Lord saw and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. I don't know if you caught this statement right here, but it says, yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. It's a grievous thing when if you turn to the side of doing the right thing, you actually become prey in the process. Do you get that statement? That's a problem. That's a problem. And God sits on high, and he stands, and he looks at injustice, right? And he grieves over it. He grieves over it. If you look inside of Ezekiel 16, 48 through 50, you see where the word talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Usually when we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, the first thought we get in our head is, oh, they fell for sexual sin, right? That's what, that's what the narrative has always been. And that could be a part of it, not to say that it's not. But in, in, in this scripture right here, in Ezekiel, it says this right here. It says, as I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. 
They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. I assure you, God hates injustice. He hates inequality. He hates scales that are not balanced. He hates when we are speeding so fast, we don't have time to actually ask the questions about what affect the least of these, right? That's why when I've been grieving through the situation, I kind of have been just grieving through my own sin in the process. Because in my anger, as I'm throwing fingers at other people, I keep seeing myself. I keep seeing my own sin as well. I keep seeing the fact that, man, when my kids are asking me for help or they're fussing sometimes, I lean to what's expedient. What's expedient is, if y'all want to be quiet, everybody's getting it. There's no justice for them. It's been making me think about how do they actually feel, you know? Like, I don't even call them the right names when I'm mad. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's really unjust, you know? I'm calling Angel Seven's name. I'm going out of gender stuff, everything. It's just an absolute mess. It's injustice. But I'm angry, so I do what's expedient in the moment, right? It's not just. I've been seeing myself. You know, I had a friend or whatever, one of my buddies is a pastor. His name is Watson Jones. Um, and he's up north. I think he's in Philly somewhere. And just recently I heard him preach. And he was talking about the Imago Day and how we are made all in the image of God, how God has infused himself with all of mankind. And he, and he spoke about how when we read in the scriptures and God's like, yo, you gave me a cup of water. You know what I'm saying? God is like, you, you've lavished, you've loved me. And you're like, when, when do we do this, Father? And he's like, yo, when you fed the least of these, when you actually gave a cup of water in my name or whatever, right? We all know that text. But one of, one of the things my, friends, my friend uh, Watson went on to say was, he said, it's as if when we stop to alleviate the pain of other people, we're actually alleviating the pain of God, right? So it's this idea of like when God is actually grieved about injustice, right? And we step up to actually do justice, we, in a sense, begin to actually massage that place of hurt in God's heart that he actually has to, we have mercy, we have grace, and he's been slow to anger, but it doesn't mean he doesn't grieve what he sees. You get where I'm coming from? So, like, whenever you hear people ask the question, they're like, you know, one of my neighbors just said to me recently, he's like, uh, he's at my birthday party, and he ended up getting $50 to go use to bless somebody with and he was telling me one day, he said, Jay, he said, I don't really have any feelings about people on the side of the road or anybody suffering. Or, I don't even think through that stuff. Like, I just basically don't care. Um, and, I, and, and, you know, so I was just encouraging him. I said, well, you know, talk to God and ask God what he would have you to do, right? Kind of using the opportunity to get him to just engage and think through some stuff. And, but he wouldn't, he would definitely fall on the side of, for what? I've made it. I've got it. Anybody could do it. But that's not how God looks at stuff. He doesn't look at it like that. Because he also looks at how structures are broken and how they affect people, right? He calls that injustice. Um, Dom Helder Kamara, who's Archbishop of Recife, which I believe is in South America, 
I could be wrong. Nobody, please don't look that up because I won't be retracting it. I'll stand by it. That's what I've been taught this week. Stand by no matter what. That's what's been done to me. I'm just playing. All right, anyway, he says, uh, he says, when I give food to the poor, they call me a saint. But when I ask why the poor have no food, they call me a communist. All right? It's so easy for us to actually look into people's brokenness and kind of point to it and look at the inward stuff that's broken. But what's hard is to look at the outward part of brokenness, right? So like we normally, we go, listen, these people are kind of, this person or that person is actually missing the mark. And so we go immediately to, you know, they're not doing this right. They're not doing that right. Because it's all on them. But if we look at the structures that are in place that actually affect people, it might actually put responsibility on us. We might end up kind of having to look at it and go, man, my kids are in a really great school district. But all the money they actually got from my district, I left somebody else with not a really great school. Right? We might say, man, our grocery stores are absolutely amazing here. But there's a whole population in the city that they live in a food desert. Right? If we look at the numbers for the zone one statistics in our city, what we see is infant death, murder, theft, all type of stuff is escalating. And we would normally just say, we would look inward and say, man, they need to get his stuff together. But if we look outward, then it would find us looking at a structure that's actually broken, that stands on people. It's not justice. Isaiah 59, 15 through 16 says this. It says, the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So I ask y'all, who's supposed to intervene? It's God's people. We're supposed to intervene. Not meant to be in the cheap seats. Psalms 106.3 says, blessed are they who maintain justice. We call our judges justice, right? You're a justice. Because that is the identity that they're called to walk and stand in. Right? Without it, a society goes to pieces quick, fast. Without, a, without it in a home, it goes to pieces. We're called to intervene. We're called to be activists. And the lukewarm place is not safe for any of us. America has fallen to a Christianity where we kind of wear the title. Anybody can just say, yo, I'm a Christian. And they were like, cool, you're good people. I'll tell you this right here. I get so tired. I get so many calls for meetings from people, and they're like, hey, Pastor Jay, we want you to come meet with so-and-so and this and that or whatever, good Christian people or whatever. And I'm like, no, nah, they're actually not. They're actually not. I said, I'm like, if I come to the table and sit with you and your buddy, when we find out your buddy's responsible for some crap in the city, are you going to call your buddy out? then I'm not coming to the table with you. And I'm not giving them the credibility of being super Christian because you want to throw it on them. But this is the thing I kind of have to dance in all the time. I have to tell them, like, yo, I'm not your guy. I'm not your guy. I've already chose. I'm going to be a renegade in the process. And I might lose my reputation in it. 
That's what we're called to do. The word of God says we're called to maintain justice, not staying on the side that looks like the winning side. Because the winning side often is the one with his foot on somebody else crushing it. Do you get where I'm coming from? I'm not saying there's not good people on both sides. I'm just saying you have to be really wise on how you navigate that, right? That's whether you're at the workplace, it's whether you're in the city, it's how you vote, it's everything you do. And I'm not going to tell you how to do any of that. But I'm just going to say that you need spiritual eyes and not carnal eyes. Because carnal eyes tell us, man, it's an awesome guy, he's Christian. Pray with this guy several times a week. He's awesome. Come on, man. Like, I see him. I see what he does. I'm in the courtroom on the other side of what he's doing. I know I'm being vague, but you get where I'm coming from. I'm just saying we have to be responsible. Lukewarm place is not where God wants us. He's called us to be activists. Matthew 10, 34 says this. It says, do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The point is truth is utterly expensive. It's expensive. We can't even have clarity on how to love our family and our kids without understanding the love of God. That's not why you have to be willing to lose your life. And in it, you'll find your life. And I know this is a hard word and it's a hard text. And I know it's something weighty. But I think that the exclamation point for me this week, and I think even for our church, is there's not room to play. There's not an in-between place to kind of dance and sit on the sidelines. There's certain things that God has called this church to, and we're not going to duck out of it. And that's just where, where I'm at. Not because I have a bone to pick with anybody at all. I need Jesus just like the next man. But God has just called us into some peculiar, different conversations. And lately, the reality of having to make a decision on what side of the table we sit at has become more and more real. Um, so I'm just walking you through where I see God making his case for where he stands. And that's, of course, where we're going to head and where we're, we're going to land at. Martin Luther King Jr. said this right here. He says, you may be 38 years old, as I happen to be, and one day some great opportunity stands before you and calls you to stand up for some great principle, some great issue, some great cause, and you refuse to do it because you are afraid. You refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You're afraid that you will lose your job, or you're afraid that you will be criticized, or that you will lose your popularity, or you're afraid that somebody will stab you or shoot you, shoot at you, or bomb your house, as they did his, so you refuse to take the stand. Well, you may go on and live until you're 90, but you're just as dead at 38 as you would be at 90. And the cessation of your breathing in your life is but the belated announcement of an earlier death of the spirit. It's a heavy challenge. It's a heavy call. 
you know, um, when I, whenever I get in a fight, which hasn't happened in 40 years, I don't know. Anyway, I'm getting old. Anybody want to fight after church? All right, anyway, all right. But it's been a minute, right? But whenever I used to fight, I'm one of those people that, like, starts trembling before I fight, you know? Well, I just can't control it. I'm just like, but it's about to go down. My blood is going crazy, whatever, and, like, I just like the adrenaline. Anybody else do that when they fight? All right, anyway. A couple ladies in the house, whatever. All right. There you go. Bashy, I see you over there. All right. Got a brawl in the room. All right. But, yeah, so I tremble. Get crazy. Man, past week I've been like so angry. I've been on triple mode. You feel me? Heart beating like super fast. I've just been like mad, like crazy mad. And I've just been on my knees and I've been just like, God, what is wrong? And I've just been trying to make sense of it. And I know some of it. Some of it is a bit of, it's a bit of feeling like shame, a bit of feeling humiliation a bit of feeling um, mad for watching my, my friend's name get drugged through the mud, a little bit of a feeling of, you know, some people running my name the wrong way, watching people's comments from the sidelines talk about stuff they don't know about, a little bit of wanting to do a backhand on a couple people real quick, you know, all of that. But then I just keep seeing my sin, right? Everything that, I, that I'm charging somebody else with, I keep seeing that my anger also embodies this, the same sin of the people I'm directing my anger at. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? I don't know if you've ever been there before or whatever. Like, you know, there be, there's times I'm fussing with my wife and I'm calling her out and she's just like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. You're so right, because you just did exactly the same thing. And I'm like, crap, she got me. You know what I'm saying? It just, I'm trying to point something out in her heart, and it comes back and it hits me. Um, you know, last, the, last, the week before last, before the flood, Noah's flood, whatever hit last week on the church, <laughs> um, Pastor Jeremy hit Luke 18 or whatever, right? Just read it really fast. It says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I was reading that the other day, and I just started thinking to myself kind of when I was dealing with this anger. I was like, man. As soon as the tax collector starts thinking that he's actually better than the Pharisee, he becomes the Pharisee that quick, that fast, that fast. Once we lose our grip on our position in Christ, right, it flips that, quick, that easy. You go straight up from being lavish in God's mercy and his goodness and grace till you go into this position where you're the Pharisee. You're the person that you swore you're not going to be like 
or the person that all your anger is kindled against, but you find yourself just like them. In the case of David, right, with Nathan, when Nathan called David out after he cheated with Bathsheba. Let me read this to you really fast. He said, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there was no men, there was two men in a certain city. And um, hmm, just a little crit over here. All right. Mm, yep. All right. Nope. All right. That's my friend. Oh, don't worry about him. That's Lewis. Don't worry. Him and a whole bunch of his cousins come through every now and then. It's all right. Um, but, but, it, but it says, it says uh, in the, hold on, what the, okay, all right, cool, all right, all straight, we straight? All right, I'm just playing. All right, it says, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had, had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ooh lamb, which, had, which he had bought, and he bought it up. And he brought it up and grew it up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And listen to this. It says, then David, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did his thing, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, right? I read that to you because um, David, in the beginning of this story, which I didn't want to read the whole thing, but David doesn't go out to war with the rest of his army, Right? So he's back at the palace chilling, right? He's on the porch or whatever. The kingly palace has the crown kind of tilted to the side, right? And this gangster robe with bedazzled out is how I see it, all right? And he's out there chilling, silk pajama pants, no shirt on, with a, with a goblet. Like, what is it called? Is it called a goblet? crazy big and he's chilling and he looks over and sees Bathsheba who by the way has nothing to do with our term taking a bath I don't know if that's true or not but I'm guessing it does but he sees Bathsheba right and he's like that he sends his boys over there go holler at her tell her the king want to talk to her real quick just real quick bring her back over here right his position I know I'm making light of it, but there's this thing in the position that he stands in where he forgot that he got forgetful that a war was going on. You get where I'm coming from? Like he kind of fell asleep at the will when it comes to his leadership and his calling and his position. He didn't go out to war. He sent his people and he kicked back and kind of chilled. And the church has to get off of Christian chill mode. It has to get off a of Christian chill mode. And, I, and I, I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying walk around and be crazy and start mess. But what I'm saying is that we have to pick a side. Like, who do we actually serve? And what does it actually mean to be a Christian? Like, that can't be a blurry, vague line, right? Because it muddies the whole conversation. 
I'm sick of sitting across the table in debate from other Christians, and we have no idea what justice actually is. Like, we, we, we have two complete definitions. We have complete def different definitions on whether people who are considered the least of these are even valuable, right? I'm sick of churches where the least of these actually can't walk in and even actually feel comfortable because they have to assimilate to our class thing we do or whatever it is, right? Like God has called us to be brave and to break some of these walls down. I know I'm griping a little bit. But we got to get back into the war. We have to get back into the war. That's what we're called to do. We're called to actually be in a fight. There is actually... There is a weightiness to following Christ, right? There's a weightiness to it. There's a serious. It's serious. You know what? I just left from a, from the Acts 29 conference um, in Nashville, and I ran into a bunch of guys from I think they were from Pretoria, Africa, and I couldn't shake. These dudes had like this look in their eyes that was just like. Not a joke. Like, they, they, they weren't playing with the gospel. And I had a meeting with one of them, and they were just going through what they were dealing with in Africa and everything else. And it was just like, I'm like, yo, we, we had the palace chilling in America. These dudes are, like, not playing at all. They're like, this is a war. And, like, when they talk to you, they're like, brother, we need because they have these deep voices. Like, they're like, brother, we need you over there. The enemy is coming. There's voodoo. There's this and that. And da 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 da. And they're like in the gospel, gospel, gospel is everything. It's everything. For them, it's the sword they're going to use to completely take down the giant. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And their hearts are unified in that. And so when you see them gather, it's not like we're well, not just skipping through the conference. It was different. Like they were something different in the middle of all of this. And I just noticed them the whole time. And I'm like, these guys are moving different. Like, either they're crazy or we're missing something, right? Or we're missing something. I don't want to get stuck trying to chill at the palace. We're called to be the church. The church is ferocious. The church has the cross and the blood of Jesus. And nothing can stop it and nothing can do anything with it. And when it comes to sacrificing and putting our reputation and putting our life on the line, we've been promised eternal life. Something that ears have not heard, eyes have not seen is the promise that we have through Jesus Christ by faith, right? So why wouldn't we lay it all on the line? I want to read this to you real quick. And I didn't put the name, what scripture it is. It's all good. We're just going to read, all right? I find a bunch of comfort in this scripture. This is, this is where I've been leaning at as I've been working through my anger and working through my own self-righteousness, right? It's been giving me comfort that I don't have to land on the right side, but that Christ has put us on the right side. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. It's a part of the process. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even, even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. So the beautiful thing in this whatever is that we're never, ever alone. And the conversation is not ever about you being justified by being on the right side of the conversation, right? Um, it's that we're to be found in Christ. Christ is the safe place for us. It's where we're able to find refuge in the middle of hard times. It's where we're able to find identity. Because even when somebody is maybe speaking against who you are, who you think you are, um, maybe you're even finding yourself actually to be what people say you are, um, that you don't like to hear. But the fact of the matter is, is that God is not naive to any of our brokenness, right? And the fact that he actually um, sent his son Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners, right? And he does this actual work where he justifies us by faith and we have peace through Jesus Christ. Um, another thing I find comfort in, and I'll close with this right here, is knowing that there is no um, persecution that exists on this earth that our Father has not went through, right? That we find unity in Christ and understanding and knowing that, um, that he's been there before, right? And we can't even grasp what he's actually been through. But, you know, even in the middle of all this kind of turmoil that I've been kind of ex explaining to you that I personally have been going through um, and, and, and others have been going through in the middle of this conversation, there's been this strange sense of satisfaction. Um, and this sense of satisfaction is kind of rooted um, in the fact that it's just as the Lord says it is in the word of God, Right? when it comes to persecution, when it comes to oppression, when it comes to how you may get smacked down for standing up for something you believe, like the suffering that the Bible talks about, it feels good to actually stand in the middle of that and kind of go, you, you said this was true. You said this was true. And you said you would never leave us and you said you would never forsake us, right? And you said that your promises are short. And you get the joy of kind of being like, Dad, I'm kind of walking in the same footsteps of my father, right? Listen to what Isaiah 53 says about him. It says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his, with his wounds we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid, laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. By the way, we're his offspring. And we're called to walk like him. And 11 says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you, Lord. 